This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, he speaks to them now by another parable. With this parable, is got crystal clear simplicity. And it's like a laser pointed precision. It's like a heat sensing missile that goes right to the ears of the chief priests and the Pharisees. It says in chapter 21, verse 45, chapter 21, verse 45, last chapter, the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables. That means that that missile went right to them and they got it. It came to them with all the color, all the sounds, all the tastes, all the excitement of being at a marriage. Great thing, oh, the marriage. You know, I've gone to a couple Hasidic marriages and they're really something with all the sounds and the tastes and the excitement. Oh, this is what he's kind of playing on here. And so he's answering the thoughts of the chief priests and the Pharisees with this parable. They thought to grab Christ to destroy him. And Christ now answers their thoughts with this parable. His answer is a parable. To understand this parable, as in all parables, it's all about the words, the words. The words are so important. Certain key words, words that are just, they're bursting with meaning. Certain words, they're pregnant. These words, well, I've been watching the whole war in the Ukraine and looking at all the, the armor-piercing missiles that have been fired. And well, these, these parables have got armor-piercing missiles that break through the hard armor of a hard heart. And so the first word we see here in this parable is the word certain. There was a certain king. That means there was a king like no other king. This king is unique. First of all, he's a king, which means that he has all the power of a king. He has the right of the king. He's a king that rules. He's a king, and this king represents God the Father. Represents God the Father, who's altogether powerful, and he is called by Christ in verse two, verse two, a certain king. 
and what a certain king God the Father is. This king is certain because in the parable here, he's got a desire for there to be a marriage for his son. This king is certain because of what he has planned and what he has prepared for this great wedding of his son. This king is certain because of who he has first invited to the wedding of his son. This king is certain because of who he has secondarily invited to the wedding of his son. This king is certain because of his persistence to get the first people to come to the son. This king is certain because of the message that he sent out to all those invited to to the wedding of his son. He's certain because of the response that he had to those who refused to come to the wedding of his son, and he's certain because of the extent that he went to in order to have people finally come to the wedding of his son. He's certain because of afterward his investigative role he took at the wedding of his son. It's a certain king, it's an unusual king, a king that we're surprised to see and to learn so much about, and that's how we feel about God the Father. We learn in the Bible about how much God the Father loves man just from that simple, well-known verse in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth into him should not perish but have everlasting life. We just stand back in amazement. I mean, we look at something like that and we say, really? And you know, borrow a little bit from Judy Collins' song, you know, and both sides now, and we could say something like, I've looked at God from both sides now, from up and down, and still somehow it's his great love that I recall, I really don't know God at all. That's what we have to say. Because God the Father in verse two is such a certain king that for all eternity we're gonna be peering into, probing into, trying to find out exactly what was the motivation of his great love. How could he do it? How could he give his only begotten son to bring us out of a state of death into life, as it says in 1 John 4, 9. 1 John 4, 9, and this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live. Now, the next two words that we focus on in verse two, verse two is, this is a marriage of his son. These two words, his son. God the Father is centered on, God the Father is focused on his son. He delights in his son, Jesus Christ. The eternal Jesus Christ, he spoke about how the Father delighted in him in Proverbs 8.22, Proverbs 8.22, when Christ said, the Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, I was set up from everlasting. From the beginning, or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth while he as yet had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him, as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Those words portray the exceptional love that God the Father has toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs 8.30, 8.30, I was by him, I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. And one day, from the center of that love, God the Father looked at his most precious son and said, 
I want to widen the circle of our love for each other. I want to bring into this circle man, forgiven sinful man, cleansed sinful man, redeemed sinful man, and at that moment, Christ responded to God the Father and said, my meat is to do your will. I'll go. I'll become sinful man's redemption. I'll become the lamb. And God the Father's focus continues on his son, Jesus Christ, just as this verse talks about. Verse two, verse two, he's making a wedding for his son. And then the next two words penetrate our souls where it says in verse three, verse three, he sent forth his servants to call them. So the king now comes to his servants and the king has a job for his servants to do, a most important job, and the king comes to his choice servants. These are his choice servants because they obey the king. These are his choice servants because they don't just do what the king tells them to do. These servants take into their hearts the feelings of the king. These servants want so well to represent the king that they feel what the king feels. These are the Eliezer type of servants that obey like Eliezer obeyed Abraham when Abraham sent Eliezer to get a wife for his son, Isaac's son. When Eliezer wanted so much to feel Abraham's desire, that Eliezer came to Abraham and he put his hand under Abraham's thigh and the weight of Abraham's body was on his hand. And he remembered all during his mission the feeling of the weight of Abraham's body, Genesis 24, 9. Genesis 24, 9, the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham as master and swear to him concerning that matter. So Eliezer wants to feel all that's in Abraham's heart. So he puts his hand under Abraham so he could feel the weight of the body. And from the feeling of that body, Eliezer says, I adopt your passion, Abraham. I adopt your desire for a wife, for Isaac. It's now my passion, it's now my desire. That's the kind of servant that this king calls. And you know, the remarkable thing about Eliezer is that this whole chapter 24 of Genesis, Genesis 24, Genesis 24, it's all about Eliezer. It's the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. It's got 67 verses. It's all about one man, Eliezer. And you know what's so remarkable about Genesis 24? It's all about Eliezer, and the name Eliezer does not appear once in that chapter, Genesis 24. Not once does his name Eliezer appear, yet it's all about him in Genesis 24. And Eliezer in that chapter is only known, not by his name, but by his title, the servant, the servant. And if you and I are gonna be the Eliezer type of servants of God, our names are just going to disappear. And what's gonna be emphasized in our lives is only that we are the servants of Jesus Christ. As he said in Luke 17.10, Luke 17.10, so likewise ye, when ye have done all these things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We've done that which was our duty to do. John 3.30, John the Baptist and John 3.30 said, he must increase, I must decrease. And if someone asked Eliezer, who are you? Eliezer's response would not be, I'm Eliezer. Eliezer's response would be, I'm the servant of Abraham. That's how 
That's who he saw himself to be, and that's how he wanted to be known. And that is how we should see ourselves, and that's how we should want to be known, servants of Jesus Christ, servants who delight to do the will of Christ. And this king, in verse three, is sending these types of servants out. Now, the next two words that sum up what the king wanted his servants to do, in verse three, send forth his servants to call them when they were bidden to the wedding. Their job was to call, just call. Just call, don't force, just call. Call is what they were called to do. The servants, the king told his servants, you go in my name, you stand in my place, and you call those who are invited to come to the wedding of my son. Call them, as in tell them that the king is calling them to come to the wedding of the king's son. Call them, as in tell them how important it is to the king that they come to the wedding of the king's son. Call them, as in tell them the king has opened the doors of the palace and the king wants them to come to the wedding of his son. Call them, as in tell them the king commands them to come to the wedding of his son. That's what Christ has commanded us to do as his servants, to call the lost to come to Jesus Christ. As it says, John 20, 21, John 20, 21, then said Jesus to them, as my father has sent me, even so send I you. Now, you and I have a place in this parable. We're not absent. We are the servants that the king has sent out with a charge to call them. We are sent to call. We're sent to call the lost to come to Christ, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. We're the servants. We've been commissioned to call and to call with a passion, with a begging, mustering all the powers of persuasion that we have. 2 Corinthians 5.11, 2 Corinthians 5.11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's what we do. Luke 14, 23, Luke 14, 23, the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Paul said about his, his mustering his powers to persuade in 1 Corinthians 9, 22, 1 Corinthians 9, 22, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. As servants, that's our job. We call the lost to come to Christ. We invite the lost to come to Christ. Our message is just one word, come. That's our message, come. Isaiah 55, one, Isaiah 55, one. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy water, buy wine, and milk without money, without price. That's the last scene we see of the Spirit of God and the bride in Revelation 22.17, right at the end of the Bible. Revelation 22.17, the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Just like we saw about this certain king, we tell the lost, come to Christ, because God wants you to come to Christ. Because, 1 Timothy 2.4, 1 Timothy 2.4, God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Come to Christ, because God is, 2 Peter 3.9, 2 Peter 3.9, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Come to Christ because he's inviting you to come. Come to Christ because the doors of heaven are open for you to come. Come to Christ because the opportunity is now, it's here to come to Christ, as he said in Luke 10, 9, Luke 10, 9, say unto them, the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. 
So the king, in verse three, he describes those who are called, he calls them in verse three, them that were bidden to the wedding. The Greek word bidden, strong word, it means urged, it means pressed. Every person is bidden to come to Christ. Every person is pressed by the Holy Spirit of God to come to Christ because the Holy Spirit urges people to come to Christ because he convicts their consciences that they're sinners, that's their need, that Christ is the righteous way, that's their way, and that the future with Satan, it's doomed to an end in destruction. John 16, seven, John 16, seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he was come, he will reprove the world of sin, righteousness, judgment. Sin, because they believe not on me. Righteousness, because I go to my Father, you see me no more. Judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. This all means that when we call the lost to be saved, we are not the only voice speaking to them. Deep within their souls, there is the voice of the Holy Spirit urging them because they're sinners, they need to come to the only righteous person, that's Jesus Christ. And then the last four words, these are the most tragic words in the Bible. These last four words in this verse three, verse three, the last four words, they're most tragic. They would not come. They would not come. They had the call of God to come. They had the command of God to come. They had the urging of God, the Holy Spirit, to come. And then God took back and he said, okay, what's your decision? And their decision was, tragically, in verse three, they would not come. As Christ said those tragic words in verse three, they would not come. We can see him there, he's saying, he just said they would not come and he's remembering as he's saying this, he's remembers standing in front of the city of Jerusalem. He remembers when he wept over the city of Jerusalem and he said in Matthew 23, 37, Matthew 23, 37, he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? And ye would not. Two words. He spoke about himself in Matthew 23, 37. Would I, three words. He spoke about them in Matthew 23, 37. Ye would not. That's the greatest tragedy for a man when God says, I would, and a man's response is, ye would not. When God says, I would love you, and the response is, I don't want your love. When God says, I would protect you, and the response is, I don't need your protection. When God says, I would forgive you, and the response is, I don't need forgiveness. When God says, I would cleanse you from your sins, and the response is, I don't need cleansing. When God says, I would redeem you, and the response is, I don't need to be redeemed. They're all, I would and ye would not. Just like these last words in verse three, verse three, ye would not come. And when Jesus Christ came to earth, he made a beeline to his own Jewish people. And the response was, John 1.11, John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. The response was Isaiah 53.3, Isaiah 53.3, he's despised and rejected of men. The response was Luke 19.14, Luke 19.14, his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And the reason why a lost person does not come to Christ is not because he cannot, it's because he will not. 
as Christ said in John 5.40, John 5.40, you will not come to me that you might have life. It's not you cannot, it's you will not. And that's the response of the Jewish people, which is a response of, you come to us, thank you, but no thank you. His response of, you come to us, please leave, never come back again. And with that response, the natural question is, Romans 11.1, Romans 11.1, I say then, hath God cast away his people? That's a valid question. God came in Jesus Christ to his own Jewish people. They rejected, rebuffed Jesus Christ away from them. So the natural question is, is he done? Is God done with the Jewish people? Has God moved on from the Jewish people, cast them off forever? And that's why the one word that starts out verse four answers that question, and that one word in verse four is again, he sent forth other servants. Again, the record reads that the king sent forth other servants. That word again is the same answer to the question, Romans 11, one and two, I said then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people which he foreknew. See, that word again in verse four is the same as saying God forbid in Romans 11.1, Romans 11.1. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew, Romans 11.2. So God's response to the rejection of the Jewish people of Jesus Christ is this one word in verse four, again. That one word, again, in verse four, that's our marching orders, that's my marching orders, personally, in Israel Restoration Ministries. For 11 years, we've gone back to the same Jewish communities in the US year after year after year, again and again and again. For 11 years, we've gone back to the same Jewish communities in Los Angeles, delivering the gospel materials like the book Changed, Saturday, after Saturday, after Saturday, for a total of over now, over 200 Saturdays, as we've sent out students from West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California, down into Los Angeles. And this last month, I spoke to the student body up there at West Coast Baptist College, and a student came up to me, and he said, my name is David, and I'm Jewish, and I'm from Los Angeles, and every year, that your gospel materials were delivered to my doors, every year I threw them in the trash until one year I read those materials. That's why I'm a Bible student at West Coast Baptist College. He was saved and now at Bible College preparing for the ministry because of that one word in verse four. Again, he sent forth other servants. And God's response to the rejection of the Jewish people is just that one word in verse four, again. In our response to the continued rejection of a lost person in verse four is again, till there's no more breath in their lungs, they've gotta hear it again and again. Because we're hoping for that one day when instead of throwing the message in the trash, they pick it up and read it and they're saved. Again, God says again, Second Chronicles 36, 15, 2 Chronicles 36, 15, and the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. And again, the message is the same. Tell them which are bidden. The message is tell them. I like so much Bert Poole's song where it says, tell them of one who is living on high. Tell them of one who on Calvary did die. Tell them of one who responds to their plea, banishing sin in his mercy's deep sea. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God, and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.